0: Welcome to The Creative Sandwich, a podcast where you'll learn how to leap past your competition by blending solid business principles, the creative process, and design thinking to produce breakthrough innovations. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, James Turner. This episode is about the creative process, the real creative process. It might not be what you think it is. There are a lot of processes out there designed to create ideas, but some of these just have nothing to do with true creativity. They're not the real deal. The creative process is not really negotiable. None of the steps is really optional. That doesn't stop some people from attempting to redefine the process into something that it just can't be. They try to twist it into something that it isn't. Maybe they do this because they just don't understand the creative process. Maybe they do it because it's easier to sell a step-by-step approach to managers who are naturally drawn to step-by-step processes. Regardless, the thread is here. Okay, now if you're in management, you're very likely to be a logical, rational, vertical thinker. You might have even heard the term left-brain thinking style. However you want to describe it, This is just the way it is. People with strong analytical, logical thought processes tend to migrate into these kinds of roles. It's probably a pretty good thing for all of us. So when these folks out there pitch you with a step-by-step approach to manufacturing ideas, it is by definition pitching a logical process, not a way to leverage true creativity. If you're in management, they know the logical process is going to be immediately more comfortable to you immediately more approachable they know that you're going to relate to a logical linear cookbook of ideas you can slap metrics on it you can graph progress all the usual trappings of managing things i admit that all this does sound logical it immediately makes sense the clarity of it's really hard to shake unfortunately it's just not the creative process It's not following how the creative mind creatively produces bold new ideas. These logical approaches are sometimes just brute force attempts to submit, gather, and evaluate whatever ideas people are willing to volunteer for approval at any given moment. Then there are the committees that review the ideas in the good old waterfall fashion, and then they vote to choose the best idea. All that sounds really so logical, but what could possibly be wrong with that approach? Well, everything. That's what could possibly go wrong with this approach. Let's start with this idea by committee. This is where ideas become a kind of currency. It's basic human nature. Good luck trying to avoid it. The challenge here is that ideas are bought, sold, and traded... To garner favor with superiors or well positioned co workers. This is a pretty predictable situation. Sometimes these non creative approaches produce ideas that are completely detached from the people who thought the ideas up. Doesn't this sound familiar? It's really an age old process, just packaged in a slightly different way. This is nothing more than a glorified suggestion box. Really? So that next big idea is going to come out of a suggestion box. There's also a second variant, adding the appearance of collaboration. This is where you schedule mandatory meetings that involve virtually everyone in the company. This is also just another suggestion box. There's just lots of suggestion boxes. These are the meeting rooms. Those are the boxes. You're just packing the people inside them to pitch their suggestions from the inside instead of dropping them in a slot. You solicit ideas from everyone at the table and openly vet each volunteered idea right there in these small groups. What could possibly go wrong with this approach? Lots. I've been there. Just the concept of idea by committee, this also degenerates into something that's more about garnering favor with superiors and posturing for co-workers than really sorting through ideas. The way this small meeting approach often works is that the most aggressive, outgoing folks in the room disproportionately pitch and strongly defend their ideas, regardless of how lame the ideas may be. While the introverts, or let's say they're just not the most openly aggressive, ambitious folks in the room, their their ideas often die quickly from a lack of passion and a lack of aggressive defense. Do you see how this works? The process is suddenly transformed into a competition. It becomes more about debate and winning than about seeking the best ideas. Plus, all these folks have other work to do. They have other commitments. It's just a one-off kind of a thing, not really part of an overall culture. It's just a passing thing tied to a passing initiative. The political players are sucking all the air out of the room it's just another playing field for them, while everyone else is mostly just waiting for the stupid meeting to be over so they can get back to the real work. After all, they pretty much already know whose ideas are going to be favored, but like so many other meetings, they're forced to sit through yet another afternoon matinee, wondering how much later they'll have to work tonight to make up for the time they've lost in this meeting. Remember the point here is that these folks are here in these meetings because someone decided that this was how collaboration looks. This is how to create new ideas. One thing about collaboration, there is this notion that people collaborate best if shoved shoulder to shoulder in some bullpen all day. Some companies even wreak total havoc on their employees' lives by pulling them back into the office from a much more productive remote work environment at home. They shove them into an open office concept that drives distractions through the roof, all because somebody thinks this will improve collaboration. Personally, I think this demonstrates a pretty shallow understanding of true collaboration. The goal is about getting people working together as a team, trading ideas, increasing communication, increasing the overall work product. But they turn this into a zero-sum game where headphones and little signs need to be posted just to get a little focus time to do some actual work. Nobody's asking, but my suggestion is if you go open office, then build a boatload of meeting rooms for people to get some silence and have some quiet conversations. Stop forcing people to escape to Starbucks for quick little one, two or three person meetings because all the meeting rooms are booked solid all week. Up to this point, I've just been describing how folks that are completely unfamiliar with the real creative process can get sucked into some corporate-wide black hole of effort all in the name of chasing the wildly misunderstood concept of a creative culture or some misplaced understanding of what collaboration even looks like. Forcing people into a pseudo-creative situation, then skipping right to the give me an idea question, that's not a creative culture. It's also not the creative process. It's just collecting whatever ideas you happen to get from a broad range of people who have zero coaching on how to independently think through their work experiences and come up with more and better ideas. You're asking people to contribute and then not showing them how to contribute. let will take a trip back to high school for a moment. Asking your whole organization for ideas with no preparation and no real background for how to do it is just like soliciting ideas for the coach or the football team, uh soliciting for new plays. Imagine just asking the folks in the high school band, uh, the cheering squad, the guys over in the shot class, uh, cross-country runners, uh tennis team, golf team, a couple of guys over there smoking weed. And for that matter, the cafeteria staff and why not school counselor? Because you never know where that next great end around play will come from, right? So is the coach going to collect a lot of good play designs from this suggestion box approach? No, but it will make everyone feel like they're somehow part of the team's effort. They can earn a participation ribbon. But is that really? all you're after? Is that your idea of an innovative or collaborative culture making people feel like they're contributing? When real ideas have to be created, when those ideas have to be good, and those good ideas have to be frequently produced, then the process is very different. It's not really a game anymore. It's something entirely different. So now let's look at where creativity is already a huge part of your culture. Marketing creatives, advertising creatives, technology design teams, user interface designers, uh, engineering designers, they all have to produce good ideas and they have to do it all the time. These folks have lots of experience. They have lots of practice. They know how to consume a concept, an objective, a set of requirements, and then produce something Meaningful to meet that need. They have processes in place to make it happen, to help pull those ideas into existence, and they do it on a regular basis. It's not as much a game for them. It's their everyday job. It is practiced behavior. Now, that's not to say that some of the same interpersonal issues uh, we discussed earlier are never a part of their lives. Unfortunately, they are but we'll be covering that discussion in a future episode. A friend of mine often uses the expression, it is what it is, and the phrase definitely applies to the creative process. So what is the real creative process? The creative process is really simple, but at the same time it's amazing how a simple process can be so misunderstood. There are four, sometimes five steps in most descriptions of the process. Different people give them different names, but the steps are essentially the same. So let's go through it, or at least the first step for this week. The first step is preparation. The best way for you to think about this is to compare it to how you learn lots of other things in life. You need to practice guitar or piano before you walk out on any stage and play something for an audience. It's pretty obvious. How about you'd never walk out on a football field and start playing a game without conditioning, without first learning the plays. Even if you knew the rules of the game really well, you wouldn't be able to be a valuable member of the team. Plus, you'd probably be injured on the first play. How about classic Russian ballet? Uh, you you couldn't wake up one morning without any training or practice and just say to yourself, hey, I think I'll go down and perform for a few hours in front of a thousand people. It's just not going to happen. Okay, now let's look at business. If you're a CFO, then somewhere along the way you learned how to read a P and l statement, and you probably know how to produce one too, right? You didn't wake up one morning, pull on your black cf and O T t-shirt, and take the bus downtown and find yourself an empty office and start your financial officering, you prepared. Here's an example I think that's uh a lot closer to creativity because it's deals with soft skills. Maybe you're a venture capitalist. You probably needed to learn how to critically read people and ask the right questions to determine the value of the idea that's getting pitched, and more importantly, the dynamics of the team pitching it. So for most things in life, we completely understand that preparation is required. We never even question it. So why is it this thing called creativity is supposed to just magically happen without any preparation? For creativity, preparation is where you study the types of things that you hope to someday create. It's a real process. While it's sort of like training or education, creative preparation might be slightly different. Maybe more like practicing medicine or practicing law than learning calculus or welding. A musician listens to music. Practices an instrument. A composer studies scores and writes a lot of music, getting better and better at it. A screenwriter writes TV and and film scripts, practicing over and over. In, In each of these cases, they listen, they read, they watch what others have done. They're consuming the available content in their area of interest. And then later, we say that they are influenced by these things. But a creative person doesn't just consume the existing body of knowledge, they practice it over and over again to get better and better at it. They're not just spectators, they're active participants. This might seem obvious, but I don't think so. I've run across more than a few people who think that they can write because they read a lot. It sort of goes under the category of everybody thinks they can write, but A lot of these people just don't know what they don't know. So a lot of the potential impact of their writing is lost because they think they already know what to do simply by observing. But observation is just not enough. In the example of a writer, an individual might have a real capacity to be a good writer. It just might be that nobody ever clued them in on the fact that, you know, a solid written work requires practice, actually writing. Also, when it's your time to produce something, it takes lots of drafts. Mozart might have written his music in ink, so his first draft was also the finished product, but the rest of us aren't Mozart. We just aren't likely to produce a written work or a musical score or anything else in just one draft, or two, or five, or even ten. If if we could do everything we observed, we all could be policemen, superheroes, mob hitmen, Wall Street tycoons, uh, prostitutes, captains of industry... You name it, just because we watched it on TV or in the movies. The same is true for creativity. Creativity is not a spectator sport. You've got to be asking yourself by now, what does this possibly have to do with business? Well, a lot. Take that last statement about writing something and producing a musical score and and how things don't just happen on the first draft. Now extend that to business and think prototypes. Think iteration trying out different ways to do something, getting feedback from users, listening to them, and rolling that feedback back in for a better and better prototype. Doing all this before setting a design in stone, before writing the music in ink. Here's something from my own experience. I've done a lot of user experience design. That's a business thing, right? I didn't just wake up one morning and start sketching out wireframes for solutions that were bouncing around in my head. I I started way back before that uh, with, with just a basic interest of what I liked and didn't like about software applications I was using. My interest was driven from the exact same roots that yours might be. I'm using some website or some app and suddenly I can't believe that someone actually designed this thing on purpose to act like this. I mean, was it sleep deprivation? Was it substance abuse? Maybe they had relationship problems at home. Was it an unrealistically short deadline? Was there so little oversight that no one else even noticed this insanity? I don't know about you, but I have to wonder how this sort of thing ever sees the light of day, because it shouldn't. So that's the first step, observing the situation, seeing the need, the deficiency, if it stopped there, then you complained to yourself, shook it off, accepted it, you know, that's the way it is, and you move on. That would be one thing. But if you happen to be interested in learning the kind of things that can make applications easier to use, then you might look closer. You might take the effort to to study the way it works and identify what it is about the brain-dead app that's so wrong, and then compare it to what makes other apps and websites better at doing roughly the same thing. What's going on here is that you're collecting design fragments, ideas, concepts. You're doing this repeatedly. You're doing this over time. You're building your own personal body of knowledge, the do's and don'ts of how user interfaces should be designed. These bits and pieces of websites and apps that, that touched your life are now your influences that might contribute to some future design work that you will produce. You're doing this by thinking through how you might redesign a piece of some existing app or website. You do this thing dozens or hundreds of times, and you're always asking yourself, how would I do this better? Guess what? Very subtly, you're in the first stage of creativity. You're preparing to create something in the future by practicing how you would have designed these websites and these apps to work better if you had been responsible for the design. It's exactly the same for a guitar player, listening to songs by other musicians, reverse engineering their solos, identifying their recurring riffs that they play, adding them to his or her bag of musical tricks. It's pretty easy to see that is part of a creative process, but somehow if it's a business process being examined, or a user interface, or a thousand other business things, then somehow that's not seen as creative. Well, I should probably start wrapping up. But I want to help you connect the dots here. As weird as it might seem, using the creative process to solve business problems starts with a basic interest in solving business problems it's it's no different from a guitar player being interested in learning to play the guitar you experience or read about business problems and imagine how you might have come up with a better solution you ponder the options you play out various strategies in your mind and, and you sketch them out on paper or you use some mind mapping app the guitar player listens to songs phrases riffs imagines how he might do something differently in a solo or experiment with different approaches to a song or apply a different style. Maybe he sketches out uh, his thoughts on a lead sheet or records some ideas to capture uh, the essence of what he was working with. This is all the same. It's all creativity in action. You're observing the thing you're interested in as you move through your life's experiences. It subtly means you're observing an need, thinking about how to address it. Then you practice the thing you're interested in, and then over time, you collect your bag of tricks, your body of knowledge. Those are the influences that you'll use in the future. You are preparing to create something. I guess I only managed to cover the first step in creativity this week, but it's really a seriously important step. After all, an artist doesn't just go out and buy some paint, some canvas, and start painting. They get ideas. They get inspiration from things they see and experience. It's no different in coming up with inventive new things in business or in technology. You just need to be interested in those things. A guitar player probably cares nothing about a drum solo. The lady with 17 years of hardcore Russian ballet experience probably doesn't care anything about the guitar. It's not her passion. So if you're not really that interested in business processes or software algorithms or change management or whatever, then fine. None of those are your passion. You have too little interest in any one of those topics to make creative preparation a part of your life. But if one of those or something else really resonates with you individually, then that's where you can put your focus and energy. And later on, when somebody asks you for an idea, and it just happens to fall within your area of interest, then this is where you've been prepared for years, and you suddenly have the ability to create a much better idea. There are no shortcuts to this. Next time, we'll likely continue with the other steps of the creative process, but in the meantime, you can be preparing. Well, that's it for this week, so see you next time as we take another bite out of the creative sandwich. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Creative Sandwich. For more episodes, to subscribe, rate, or leave a review, visit iTunes. And if you're interested in learning more about problem solving, creativity, or solution design, visit us at marketsureconsulting.com.